Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Impact Cyber Church, the place where you go to church with people all over the world while you're sitting right there in your living room, right there in your office, or right there in your iGroup. Man, I'll tell you, thank God for the iGroups that are out there where people get together and watch these videos and study and discuss them. I am so grateful for that. Today, we're going to be talking about what I think is such an incredible part of our prayer life. And we started this thought a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to be getting into specifically how to avoid temptation. I want to tell you something. Avoiding temptation is better than overcoming temptation. And we absolutely can really manage our lives in such a way that we very seldom find ourselves straining, striving, feeling like we want to sin or feeling like we want to compromise. Listen, all these programs are always available at impactministries.com. Use them all you can. I'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. Hey, listen, I want to be sure you get my free download this month, Knowing God as Father. I am telling you, this is going to charge you up and get you so excited and so confident in your connection and your position with God. Be sure and get it. It's for free. You know, I woke up first thing this morning thinking about what I was going to be teaching you today about avoiding temptation. And again, my mind races back to over 40 years of counseling, marriage counseling, personal counseling. You know, we had an addiction program here. We had a prevention program for teens for years and years and years. I have been involved with every kind of counseling just about that you can imagine. I always think back to when I'm preparing a message, my mind goes back over the struggles that people seem to habitually face. And it's amazing that, you know, pretty much everybody faces the same struggles, the same challenges, the same temptations. And it's always then interesting to hear people express their questions or their surprise about why things are happening in their life. And, you know, when people talk about temptation and trying to overcome temptation and how hard it is and what a struggle it is, the thing that always comes to my mind is this. Jesus taught us how to avoid temptation, but we don't really follow Jesus' teaching. We call Him our Lord, but we really don't follow His teaching. We don't do what He said would deliver us from temptation. We do what some program, some preacher put together. It's all right to have a program as long as that program is based on the teachings of the Lord Jesus. And so instead of listening to Jesus, we listen to everybody else. We come up with these philosophical concepts, these religious ideas, and they don't work. And then in our heart, we blame God. You know, I was thinking about someone that I knew one time, and this person had had a brush with some particular kind of sexual sins, and so had incredible condemnation about it, felt called to the ministry, but felt unworthy and unqualified. And so there was a person on their campus that uh, he was not at all attracted to. He was not at all interested in, but he thought that God was testing him and that he should marry her in order to pass this test that God had. Listen, 
When you think that God is the one testing you, and testing is temptation. When you think that God is the one that is testing you, then God cannot be the one that delivers you from temptation. And when you start off from a precept that says God is not continuously good, kind, loving, merciful, God is not always the life giver, then I got news for you. Every time you get into a bind, you're going to do what the book of Proverbs says. It says the ways of a man destroys his way, but in his heart, he blames God. So Jesus taught us how to pray, and we have messed that up. We've turned that into everything he said not to do. We've taken the model prayer, turned it into the Lord's Prayer, and it's a prayer that people recite redundantly, repetitively, without engaging their heart, without giving any inner thought or connection to any of it. And they just read the words or quote the words over and over again. Well, I want to tell you something. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, he wasn't even saying, this is what you should pray every day. He wasn't saying, say these words that I'm saying. He was saying, these are areas that you need to deal with as often as you need to deal with it. It's amazing. Everybody wants to work a formula. People ask me sometimes, I say, well, Jim, how long do you pray every day? And I'm like, till I get finished. You know, and some days that's three minutes here, 10 minutes here, five minutes here, two minutes here, one minute here, you know, an hour here. You know, who knows? And some days, you know, that's feeling like I don't even need to leave my house until I have had some kind of release in my heart. You know, we're not working formulas to earn something from God. Jesus gave us areas that we need to pray about. Now, remember, a lot of people, they're like, well, listen, if Jesus has already died for me and all this is our man, why should I have to pray to make it happen? I'll tell you why, because God does not violate your will. And remember, praying is not about trying to get God to do things. The word pray means to judge or assess and then reconcile. Prayer is where, you, you know, when you get in the presence of God and you start acknowledging the names of God and, and what that means about who you are in Jesus, it is going to come into your consciousness that there's areas of your life that are not harmonious with what you're saying out of your mouth. Now, if you keep saying these things, I am righteous, I am holy, I am anointed, I am, and these are things that the Bible says, but if you keep saying those things, but your life never changes, or you never have any intention for your life to change, your heart will eventually harden because you have authority over yourself, and your inner man works based on your decisions and your authority. And so if you say these things, but then you don't reconcile. So if I'm praying, I'm, Father, I thank you that I'm loved. And I thank you that I'm accepted. I thank you, Father, as I was talking about yesterday. I thank you, Father, that I abide in your mercy. Well, you know, it might suddenly come to my mind somebody that I'm not showing mercy to. Is that God beat me up? No, that's my conscience. That's the voice of your conscience. That's your own soul. Your conscience has two voices, and that is the spirit part of you and the soul part of you. And the spirit part of you is always leading you to say about yourself what God says, but then your own mind, your own soul says, well, wait a minute, that's not what your behavior says. And if you don't reconcile those things, your life will never be set in order. Your life will never be peaceful. It'll never be stress-free, and you will never avoid temptation. But when you daily deal with these things, you know, you're not moaning, crying, begging, nothing. You're just taking authority as a believer and say, whoa, wait a minute. 
I am not being merciful. I was not merciful yesterday. And you deal with that. I changed my mind about how I'm going to treat this person. And I'm going to get to the root of why I'm not merciful. And usually it's an offense. I'm going to send away that offense. I'm going to send away the pain. And then I'm going to start handling this the way that God says for me to handle it. So, you know, Psalm 78, 37 tells us, this is a scripture I quote so many times. This was one of the core scriptures in my first book I ever wrote called Taking the Limits Off God, which is still a very viable book. If you want to stop limiting God in your life, which you can, and you're the only one who can, you might want to read this book. Psalm 78, 37 says, talks about the children of Israel. And that whole psalm is talking about all the crazy things that they did, all the trouble that they ended up in. And he says, the problem was their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. And then Psalm 78, 41 says they tempted God. Now that word tempt is where they put God on trial. They tested God to see if he could do this. They asked God, can you prepare a table in the wilderness? So it says, because they put God on trial instead of just trusting him, it says they limited the Holy One of Israel. So we don't want to limit God in our lives. But if we don't use our authority as believers, and if we don't make decisions about reconciling the areas of our life that are out of sync with our true identity, that are out of sync with true godliness, that are out of sync with true righteousness, if we are not willing, desirous, and intent upon reconciling those areas, then I got news for you. We're just hypocrites. We're just lying hypocrites who really give lip service to Jesus as Lord, but our hearts are far, far from Him. And most of the problems that we have in our life, we would avoid if we would continuously forgive others before trying to deal with our own situation. If we would continuously, we talked about this last week. If you didn't listen last week, go back and listen to it, about giving people better than they deserve. You know, we need to forgive and bless even when we have the right to hold on to the offense. See, when we're affected by the actions of others, we need to forgive them. We need to send away that pain so that we can move on so that we don't become blinded. Our heart becomes hardened. We stop listening to the Holy Spirit. We're distracted. Now our mind becomes carnal. The carnal mind always leads to death. You know, even when I have the right to hold something against someone, I should send it away. I don't need to hold it against them. Now, that doesn't mean I need to become their buddy. It absolutely doesn't mean I need to trust them. It just means I am not going to take the pain around with me. Regardless of the offense or the debts of others, we should be as God in the way that we relate to Him. Father, I desire the grace, just like you forgave me of the things that you have the right to hold against me. I choose to forgive others even though I have the right to hold against them. Man, you're talking about a pathway to peace. You're talking about getting over the pain of the past. This puts an end to the pain of the past. Listen, I'll be back in just a few minutes with the second half of this message, and we're going to dive into the meat of it. You know this series, New Covenant Prayer, how to set your life in order. You say, what's that got to do with setting your life in order? How does prayer and that go together? I'll tell you how. Because prayer, when you do it based on the new covenant, is exactly where you decide where your life's going to go, is exactly where you engage and align yourself with what God has already accomplished through the Lord Jesus, and you establish His kingdom on earth. You want to get this today. This will revolutionize every aspect of your life. 
So Jesus taught us after we had ministered to our own heart, after we have set ourselves free from anger, bitterness, frustration, by forgiving the debts and the offenses of others, by blessing those that curse us, pray for those that use us and mistreat us, do good to those who do bad to us. Whenever we assess and reconcile any part of our life and nature and emotions that are not whole and well and strong and peaceful in God, then we're ready to come to this place to avoid temptation. And when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. What does the phrase lead us not really mean? See, the traditional thought is this. Some people actually believe that God leads you into testing to prove you. You know, even in the Old Testament, when the word test is there, as often as not, is the word prove or the word bring forth. You know, God may take you through situations where you have the opportunity to grow. But remember, God teaches you by His Word and by His Spirit, not by the circumstances. Or God may, you know, whenever you are facing some kind of challenge, the Holy Spirit will begin speaking to you. If you're reading the Bible or you're meditating on the Word of God, you will start connecting with how you can develop yourself as a person. But we've got to be free from the idea that God is the one that's tempting us or testing us. And, you know, I've mentioned this, but I think I still have a great series called The Truth About Job. You know, why bad things happen to good people. So, Temptation from the religious view says this. It says the devil comes and he whispers in our ear and he tries to get us to do something really bad. So I need to fight with the devil to stop this temptation. I got news for you. That's nowhere in the New Testament. If that's your plan, if that's what you're doing, you are what the Apostle Paul calls someone who beateth the air. You're somebody who is shadow boxing. You're taking things that the Bible doesn't even say, and you're trying to win the battle over temptation. And that's why, and you know, when you do these things, when you do these religious things about fighting with the devil, see, the devil's a defeated foe. You don't need to fight with him. You just need to acknowledge that he's a defeated foe. You just need to acknowledge who you are in Jesus. You need to establish your heart and who you are in Jesus. But, you know, those moments that you scream at the devil or you scream at sin or you scream, what, you know, those moments you do those things, yeah, you interrupt those negative thoughts that are flooding in on you. But that's not the grace of God working in you. That's just a natural process that God gave you. In a few minutes, those thoughts and temptations and fears come back. And then you're like, oh, my God, you know, I'm being tempted again. I fought the devil and he left, and now he's come back again. I got to send him into the deepest sea. I got to send him into the abyss. I, you know, listen, stop that nonsense. Let's look at temptation from a biblical view. James 1.14, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And remember, sin is not just doing something wrong. Sin is anything that causes you to experience life, to experience yourself, to experience God as less than you really are in Jesus. Temptation doesn't start with the devil. It starts with our desires. You see, we all have the same basic desires. We all got a sex drive unless there's something physiologically wrong with us. We all want to be loved. We all want to have friends. We all want to laugh and have fun. But the problem is when we don't believe that God is a good God, we don't see a way to pursue these things in a godly way, or we don't think we can get these things in a godly way. You know, most people become immoral because they think that is the way to get people to love and accept and even just like them or 
pay attention to them. Well, if you believe that, then you had a natural desire, but you had an unbiblical way that you thought you needed to fulfill that desire. And when you did, it caused you to function in a way that's less than who you are in Jesus. It causes you to feel less than who you are in Jesus. So here's the question. Look, is God going to lead me into temptation? Well, absolutely not. James goes on to say, let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God. So if God's never going to tempt me, do I have to ask God to do what he is already doing? No. So why am I praying this way? Why am I praying the way I pray? Well, my heart's not established in the covenant. That's the real problem. You see, in the original language, and, and even if you just compare this teaching to everything else Jesus said, you realize that we got to be missing something in the English concept of lead us not into temptation. Because God is never going to lead us. So really, it's more like allow us not, or it's more like prevent us from going into temptation. And remember, the main protection that we have is getting the bitterness and the hardness out of our own heart through being merciful and through forgiving people. So, number one, I want to become established in the new covenant. Number two, I want to be uncompromising and immovable in my trust about who God is, about how God functions, the fact that He's always good. And I always have to ask this key question, how does this line up with the finished work of Jesus? So in other words, I'm always trying to say, okay, if I want to understand how to do this, where does this line up with the finished work of Jesus? If the way I'm praying this is not congruent with the fact that Jesus has already died and been raised again for this situation, then I got to reconcile this. I don't reconcile this by abandoning or denying what Jesus taught. And that's what people do. When people can't get the words of Jesus to fit into their pet doctrine, they simply reject the teachings of Jesus. And that's when you are near to him with your lips, but your heart is far from him. That's when you're more interested in being right, winning the argument, than you are in following Jesus as your Lord. Remember, this whole idea of preventing or avoiding temptation, this thought is linked to the previous thought. And if you try to make this stand alone, lead us not in temptation, then it totally changes the meaning because now you have taken it out of a scriptural context. So now we have a better understanding of what temptation is. So now we can read the scripture like, and forgive, forgive us our debts. Father, I thank you that I'm continually experiencing the forgiveness of my debts, my offenses, in the same way that I'm forgiving other people, and thereby I am avoiding temptation, and I am delivered from evil. And that word evil has to do with chaos and trouble and confusion and those sort of things. So I can't just say the last part of this verse without first and foremost, applying the earlier part of us. You know, in the translation, it was the phrase, lead us not into temptation, would really read something like this. And do not carry internally this desire. Father, help me not internally carry the desire. You see, you might ask, what desire? This desire to make people pay? This desire to to get vengeance, this desire, you know, to be unmerciful and unkind. 
Now, I understand people should pay their bills, and Jesus said it. If you try to beat somebody out of money, you may go to prison, you may stay there the rest of your life. You know, this whole concept of the fact that we're forgiven means that we don't pay our debts and those kinds of things. That's not what he's talking about here. But I want you to understand, but on a personal level, we always want to give better than people deserve, even if those people are going to have to go to prison for their actions. Even if those people are going to have to face stiff penalties, we should give them the mercy that they don't desire. Why? So that we too can experience that mercy in our own heart. And like I said, the words evil are evil when they're not in the original translation. This is not talking about the devil. This is talking about lack. The root word is poverty, actually. Lead us from lack or lead us from poverty. You see, there's a feeling of lack that comes when we've been wrong. There's a feeling that if they took it or they took it from us, then we've lost it. Sometimes we lose touch with the fact that God is our source. We lose touch with the fact that even though somebody stole something from me, you know, years ago we had somebody steal a couple hundred thousand dollars from us. And I'm telling you, my house was about to go into foreclosure. My car was about to be repossessed. Our property was about to go into foreclosure. I came back from a missions trip, and we were penniless and had $36,000 in bounced checks fees where an accountant had stolen all of our money. And, uh, you know, we pressed charges. We had to, number one, because we would get no protection from the insurance company or the IRS wouldn't give us any leniency on paying the taxes that were due if we hadn't have done that. But on a personal level, we pressed charges to protect other people that this person might do this to because this is something that if a person is working in accounting and they're stealing money, it needs to be common knowledge. It needs to be accessible to everybody who might hire them. But on a personal level, we didn't file a lawsuit to try to go after it, you know, and spend the next 10 years fighting and going back and forth in the court. You know what we did? We didn't rehire the person. We didn't trust them. We didn't stay friends with them. But in our hearts, we forgave, we sent away the offense, and we turned back to God as our source. And, you know, I can remember me and Brenda and the staff sitting down just saying, you know something, the same God that got us here can get us out of this. We're not going to abandon the ways of God and try to recover this through force and fighting. And, and, you know, can you just imagine years of going to court, years of being drugged through this stuff? See, that's the kind of chaos that you get drugged into when you can't let go of something, when you can't be merciful. If somebody molested you, they should go to prison. I want you to understand that. I'm not saying that they don't pay for what they've done when it violates you in a legal, moral, or ethical way. But I'm saying you still don't have to carry that around inside you. You don't have to be the one who is intent upon making them pay the rest of their life. When God becomes your source, you know that you're always going to be provided for. You know that, that there's always a way. You know that you don't have to be the judge who keeps it alive in your heart and your mind constantly about what somebody did to you. That turns you into a victim. I'll tell you, when you become a victim, you're worthless to anybody. You don't minister to people. You don't help people. You don't serve people. You just whine and complain and cause trouble. And the only way you're going to get out of being a victim is forgive. Listen, I'll be back in just a minute with my mentoring moment. Don't go away. Make your plans now to be with me on July the 15th, 16th, and 17th for World Changer Weekend. And then again in October, you can check on my website for a Heart Physics Weekend. Listen, we're changing lives, changing the world, changing ourselves, growing in God.
You know, almost 40 years ago, God gave me a plan for reaching the world in a way that nearly no one has ever done since the time of Jesus. He said, instead of building a big conglomerate ministry, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but for me, he said, instead of doing this where you have a localized power base, he said, invest in people who are influencers. And so we started Impact International School of Ministry, and we have invested in influencers all over the world so that today millions and millions of people are hearing this message. People, we won't see this side of heaven. But you know something? We've taken that a step farther with what we call Operation One Billion, where all over the world we are starting Bible schools to train leaders. And in these third world countries, when they go to Bible school and when they get launched out, they go out and evangelize. They go out and start churches. It's not like America where people just go to Bible school and quit. Listen, I want to invite you to become not just a world changer with our ministry, but join me in Operation One Billion. I'm going to paraphrase the words of the psalmist, but it's accurate in to, to reflect what he actually said. But in one place, the psalmist said, listen, I got to looking at the wicked men. They were better off than I was. They weren't getting what they deserved, and I'm righteous, and I'm not getting the good that I deserve. And he said, my feet almost slipped until I went to the house of God. Well, it wasn't just the fact he went to the house of God. He went to the house of God and read the word of God and sought God out of his own heart. Whenever he recovered his view, when he dealt with these emotions, these negative feelings, these offenses, then suddenly the way was clear to see what God had to say, to see how God wanted him to deal with this. I want to just walk you through something. These are some decisions that uh, you just got to deal with. Number one, what are you carrying around that someone else has done that makes you feel like a victim? What is it? Write it down. This is what I'm carrying around. I have these emotions. These thoughts keep coming back to me. You know, this is what I keep going back to. Now, you need to acknowledge, and this is what I do in prayer, this will be the source of the temptation that will destroy me. Unless I send this pain away, unless I send this victimhood away, unless I send my suffering away, this will lead me into the temptation, the testing, the trying, the struggling, the solicitation to do evil, the being in a place where I strain and strive, that will destroy me. Now, why? Then I've got to ask myself this question. Why am I resistant? Why am I unwilling to handle this problem in a biblical way, which leads you right to the next question. I know you have to go back and review this, get all these questions, write them down, but I'm almost out of time. What do I think I'm going to gain by holding on to or by punishing the other person? And I need to identify that. And then at some point, I need to say, God, they are in your hands. They're in the system's hands but I send away the pain. I am no longer going to be the judge. I'm no longer going to seek their penalty. This is what the Bible calls repentance, changing your mind, changing the way you see it, changing the way you do it. And I'll tell you what, your heart can be free and your life can be full of peace. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.